know that in uh, less than a week, my son and I are taking a trip to India. We shared about that last Sunday. Um, really excited about that. You know, you know something interesting in the planning is that for every day I'm going to be away, Raina is going to be in Hong Kong. And we make, it's very intentional, it's very deliberate. And, uh, and I'll tell you the reason behind that. It, we actually learn the hard way. Now, what I mean by that is uh, when Raina and I were married for several, several years, uh, Raina was going to take this long trip to Hong Kong to be with uh, mom and dad. And uh, I didn't say this to her because I'm a little bit smarter than that, but I was secretly excited, okay? Now, let me tell you why. I'll tell you why I was excited. I was excited because I had a lot of work to do. And, um, and so I just felt like, well, I won't come home. I'll just stay at work and I'll just do all the stuff that I need to do. And then also, having been married for several years, there were, there were certain good friends that I had, and I've been neglecting the good friends. And so I was figuring, when Raina's away, I'm going to work a lot, and I'm going to visit, like, one of my good friends, like, every day, you know? And so that's why I was secretly excited. And so um, off she went to Hong Kong. And uh, sure enough, that first day, I got a lot of work done. I was just cranking through stuff, just getting one project done after the other project. And then on day two, I saw a good friend that I haven't seen for a long time. So I'm like, this is going really well. And then day three happened, and then day four happened. And right about day four, something happened that I wasn't expecting to happen. I didn't stay extra at work. I just went on home. And I wasn't really happy about it. And I didn't hang out with anyone. I just went home, and I was mopey. At home alone. And I didn't cook for myself, because why, I, why, why, right? In fact, the whole time that she was away, I didn't cook one time, you know? I, I started to eat peanut butter sandwiches for breakfast and lunch, sometimes dinner, you know? Um, and, you know, like over the sink and stuff like that. And, uh, and so I started to lose weight. You guys should have invited me over to your house. I don't know why you didn't, but anyways... I started to lose weight, and I, I wasn't doing too well. I wasn't working. And here's the thing. I didn't even hang out with any of those friends. I was too depressed to hang out with those friends. So I'm like, I'm still not going to hang out with you guys. Um, and I would just go home, and it was hard to wake up in the morning. And here's the thing. This is what I would do, you know, because I'm a romantic at heart. I would take to my email with a vengeance. I would write Raina like these long, detailed, wonderful, like eloquent, and there would be little love poems embedded inside the email. You know, it is long emails, right? And then I would, I would send them off, and, you know, I'm just like, I can't wait for her, you know. And then, and then, like, two days later, sometimes three, sometimes four, she would respond back, you know, and after, I'm like, woohoo, it's all right. And then she would be like, having fun with mom and dad, bye. <laughs> I'm like, Really? And it was just such a painful, hungering, longing time. I did not do well. I did not do well. And that was kind of unexpected. Did you know that that's how we're supposed to be feeling about God? Did did you know that? Now, something tells me that maybe half of us actually didn't even know that. And, and the reason why is because in the American church, we are taught to be satisfied in God. 
And by all means, actually, last week was all about being satisfied in God. No, it was, it was, that was a right-on message. We should be preaching that. But here's what the American church doesn't really talk much about. We don't really talk about being hungry for God or being homesick for God. We don't really talk about like, oh, my gosh, I just, I, I, I want God with everything. In, we, don't, we don't teach that. We don't teach dissatisfaction or discontent. And so I realized this teaching might be like brand new for a lot of us. Now, that is the main idea of this message. I mean, if you're like, okay, what, where are you going with the whole idea of this message is that God has called us to be hungry and homesick for him. Now, in a, in a moment, I'm going I'm to prove that through the scriptures, all right? I mean, otherwise, it's just my, my words. I'm going to prove it through the scriptures. But before we go there, I just, I just want you all to um, hang on to that thought. If God has really called us to be hungry and homesick for him, what will happen to us if we're not? What will happen to us if we are not, we have no plans to change that, and we've never even been taught that, and we just go on living our lives not hungry and not homesick, what's going to happen? Now, I was thinking, how can I convey this in a, in a way that uh, would hopefully be sticky, hopefully something you can relate to? And I, I thought of a way. Um, how many of you, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn to most of the people on this side. How many of you would one day, I'm not asking you to commit to something or to sign your name in blood. I'm just, just like one day, okay, one day in the future. How many of you would like to be a parent? Like you'd like to be a mom, you'd like to be a dad, you'd like to have a little girl, you'd like to have a little boy. Again, there's no commitment to this. <laughs> but I am going to take your picture. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> just go ahead and raise your hand. All right. Okay, Sam, you raise your hand. Would you stand up? Uh, I just want to personalize a little bit. Sam, really, I'm just asking you to stand up because you're tall and everyone can see you. Okay. Now, uh, Sam's a family friend, and so I just want you to pretend, Sam, that you have a five-year-old daughter. Okay? Okay. All right? Yeah. You went, you went through a lot in just these five seconds, you know? Okay, now, now, now some of you are like, I don't know what a five-year-old daughter looks like. Okay, look on the screen. This is what one of them looks like. All right? That was good. Can we all do that together? Oh, okay. That, that's my baby girl, okay? We call her Sweetie, right? All right, there she is. Okay, Sam, right now, this is your baby girl, okay? Now, let's, uh, let's play along. Let's just say that Sam is a dad uh, of a five-year-old girl, and then he's at church, and he hears that the church is doing this wonderful, amazing camp in Australia, and Pastor Calvin and Pastor Cheryl are personally going to take your kids to Australia for three weeks. Can I get an amen somewhere? No, come on. Yeah, I know you really, come on, amen. You know, someone's going like, to give us another person like a high five, right? Okay, and you're like, wow, you're really going to do this? And Pastor Calvin and Pastor Cheryl, yeah, we really want to do this. We prayed about it. We want to take your kids. Spiritual formation. We have a great time. You're like, okay. And then you, Sam and Noel, you drop off Noel, you sign the paper, the form, you send off Noel to Australia for three weeks. How are you feeling right now at that moment? <laughs> I 
Okay, is that about accurate? The other side of the room, is that accurate? You're relieved? Right? You shed a few tears, but inside you're like, yes, right? Okay, you're with me, right? Right? Okay, some of you are shaking your head, but, some, but most of you are like, yeah, secretly, yeah. <laughs> I'm really happy about it. Okay, now, now, Sam, a week goes by, and I'm talking to you. Hey, how, Sam, how are you doing? Your, Sam was just like, I'm having a great time. It's awesome. You know, I'm like, do you miss your little daughter? And she's like, not one bit. Okay, week one rolls by, week two rolls by, week three rolls by, right? Time to pick up the kid, right? Sam, how are you doing? I had the great, the time of my life. I'm so excited. Do you miss your kid? Not one bit. I'm like, okay. Now, everyone look at Sam. What are you thinking about Sam right now? Justin, what are you thinking? Okay, you don't have to say it. It's all right. <laughs> I'll be honest what I'm thinking. I'm like uh, Sam's pastor. Uh, I'm a little bit concerned. I'm talking to him. He's like, you know, honestly, secretly, I'm hoping the trip will be extended two more weeks. You know, I'm a little bit concerned. I'm thinking, Sam, you should be missing your daughter a little bit, Right? And I'm concerned because I was a psychology major. And, and, and at, at Cal, we learned about this thing called attachment. And it's supposed to happen between a parent and a child. There's supposed to be this healthy attachment. And if you separate what should be together, then you're going to feel feelings of longing and loneliness. And you want to be with them. And if it's not there, you're like, huh, something about this is not very healthy. Okay, can you guys give Sam a hand because I disembarrassed him a lot. Actually, don't. He's a terrible parent. Don't clap for him. I'm joking. Okay. Now, someone asked the question with this whole setup. What will happen if this relationship does not change? There's no attachment. And because there's no attachment, when they're separated, there's no longing. There's no homesickness. There's no hunger. What's going to happen if that doesn't change? What do you think is going to happen? I actually asked my wife this question because she's a professional counselor. What's going to happen to the relationship if there's a parent, there's a child, they're separated, but there's no longing, there's no hunger. What's going to happen? And you know what she said to me? She said, well, what will happen is we're actually talking about the child, okay? When the child grows up, because that relationship is broken, that's going to affect all their other relationships. That person probably will not be able to make the necessary healthy attachments to other people that they're going to need to. So one thing, one area of concern is that all the other relationships are going to be affected. And what about that child? Their sense of self-esteem. The way that they look at the world in the morning. <clears throat> I, I, I want you guys to think about not just what's going to happen to the child, but all the things that are going to be missing from that relationship. There's supposed to be a relationship filled with joy and you were supposed to have these like moments together where there's laughing and there's sharing and it just feels so good. We're supposed to have heart-to-heart -heart moments. It's supposed to be like that. And this relationship would be missing out. Isn't it just like almost exactly what's at stake with God? If God has called us to be hungry for him because there's such a strong attachment, then what do we stand to lose by not having that attachment and not having that hunger? And it's like we have everything to lose. All our relationships, our primary sense of being will be affected. All those moments that we would be missing out with God that he wants us to have, it would be gone. It would not be there. I think that's what's at stake with this message. Okay, now here's the thing. I have to actually prove from the scriptures that God has called us to be hungry and to homesick, okay? 
Um, I'm not going to whip out five scriptures. I'm really just going to go to one. Uh, one of my primary uh, books that I've been researching is this, a book by John Piper called uh, Hunger for God. And he said, this text is the primary text for hunger for God. So if he's saying this is the key text, this is the primary text, that's going to be my go-to text. Okay, let's go. Uh, let's go. Matthew um, chapter 9. I'm going to read the Word of God. And uh, could you all stand as I read the Word of God? Um, just really quickly. I think yesterday uh, I, I felt a little bit insecure about this message because normally I, I, I want to have like dynamic stories and for the rest of the message I actually don't have any. And I felt like God was saying, do you believe in the power of my word? And so, um, and then I said, God, I do. And so um, here is the word of God that shapes and forms and renews our hearts. So here it is. Okay, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to start in 14. We're just really going to hit two verses today, but um, I do think these verses are powerful and profound and have the potential of really shaping our worldview. Here we go, verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then, then they will fast. You all can take a seat. Let me explain a little bit of the context of these words. This is one of the rare occasions in the scripture where they are two important people, and there's some overlap in their history and their ministry. Um, this is uh, when Jesus and John were kind of coexisting in the same ministry sphere. And you could actually take a look at Jesus, and you can actually have uh, John, you can actually take a look at Jesus, and you, you could be in the same room in doing so. And here's one of those things, those rare moments where you can actually do a little bit of a comparing contrast. And right here what we see is that the disciples of John are doing this. They're looking at John. And then they're looking at Jesus, and they're like, they, they, their question comes up. Now, here's something you, you, you probably need to understand. John had a reputation. What do you think that reputation might be? Now, now keep in mind, he lived in the wilderness. He wore camel's hair, and he ate bugs and wild honey. So what do you think the reputation of John would be? He was an ascetic. He was very disciplined. He was very strict. He was very, very serious, you know, really Old Testament prophet kind of figure, right? That's John the Baptist, right? And so the John, I mean, his disciples knew his teaching, knew his person very well. And then here comes Jesus. They're looking at Jesus, and it, Jesus isn't, it seems like, entirely different. Jesus is at the table. He's like drinking wine People on the table are like laughing, they're telling stories, and you look at John, and he, he looks miserable, you know? And so there's a disconnect. So right away, the, the disciple goes, hey, what's going on here? Why do we and fast, but you guys are drinking wine, you guys are not fasting, okay? Difference. So they bring up a very fair question. Would you say it's a fair question? And verse 15, 
And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Okay, I, I want you guys to say wedding. Go ahead, say that. And I want you guys to say bridegroom. Okay, and let me give it a little bit personal just for, just for a second. Uh, I, I, I would say, uh, just to kind of get the flavor of what Jesus is talking about, I would say in all my days of living, like my top five days, you guys ever have a top five-day list, like top five days? I would say that my wedding day was definitely on my top five. It was probably on my top three, probably my top two, okay? Now, um, I have a picture. We're going to show that picture in just a moment. But, but, but on the day of, oh, there it is, okay. <laughs> Couldn't help it. The smile had to come out. Um, on the day of, I got to say, I was so incredibly happy. And it was verified by other people. What I mean by that is, like, there were some of you there. Uh, Pastor Calvin was there. And later on, Pastor Calvin uh, said to me, you know, Andrew, on your wedding day, you seem to be so happy. Like, you cannot fake happiness like that. Because you, you, you want to look happy, right? But it was just coming out. It was just, it was just the, one of the most amazing days of my life. But do you know that in all, everyone who came, who had an even more, more happy day than I did? Raina. No, I'm kidding. That is not true. I shouldn't. That is not true. Actually, I, I was more happy than she was. But, but um, so everyone was happy. Some of you guys were there. Was that not the happiest day of your life too? I'm just kidding. Okay. Everyone's happy. That is what Jesus is getting at, right? Now, this is a happy occasion. People are dancing. People are drinking. People are telling stories. There's jokes, right? We're having a great time. You know why? Because the bridegroom is here. Now, hold on. Wait a second. I'm not, okay. No, wait. Wait a second. Some of you wait for people for, for lunch. I don't know how you feel if you're waiting for someone that you really like and they're 40 minutes late. They come, you're like, oh, I'm glad you're here. Okay. Now, imagine waiting to be married and maybe you have to wait as long as 40 years. Okay. How happy are you on that day that you are married after waiting four years? You are pretty dang happy. Okay. Now, here, here's Jesus going, do you know what's going on here? That's Jesus right here. You don't see it here, but that's really what he's saying. he's saying. Do you have any idea what is going on here, like right now? Basically, he's saying, do you have any idea who I am? Okay. You wait 40 minutes for someone for lunch. You're happy. You wait 40 years, and you're very happy. How about waiting 400 years for someone? The Old Testament prophets had prophecies of a person who was going to come, and this person was going to renew human history. This person was basically going to fix every broken heart that there was. And even death and sin would be conquered by this person. Now, you, you have these prophecies, and people are waiting, and the years 400, and Jesus is like, I'm the man, and I'm here, and it's happening now. And people are really, really happy. All right, well, if there's a, a principle that I want us to take away from this scripture, uh, I think it would probably be this. The principle is this. When Jesus is in the house, there is dancing and joy. I, I think that's what basically what, that's what he's saying. And if you have not known that kind of radical, dynamic joy, then clearly you just don't know Jesus. Because if you know Jesus, it's knowing that kind of dynamic, amazing, effervescent joy, unstoppable joy. All right, you see that here in the, in, in the scripture. But uh, let's keep on going. 
Um, and Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will, what's that word? Fast. You know, I was, uh, I've read this for a long time. And I, I always kind of assumed that when Jesus says, well, when the bridegroom's taken away from them, then they will fast. I always thought that Jesus was talking about, well, you know, I'm going to be arrested and executed. And at that moment, my followers are going to be really, really, really sad. So Jesus is talking about that. When I'm executed, when I'm taken away, then they're going to be really sad. Then they're going to really fast. Is that what Jesus is talking about right here? Okay, I always used to think that. Can Jesus be referring to the three days between Good Friday and Easter? Is that what he's saying? During those three days, people are going to be really sad. Then they will fast. Is that what he's saying? Now, um, I, I used to think that's what he's saying, but then I, you know, I thought about it more, heard some more arguments, and I, I'm convinced. I actually don't think that's what he's saying. Here, here's the reason why. Because you have certain... Uh, moments in the early church, and you see this in Acts, like Acts 13, and, 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 and when, when Paul comes to the faith, and then you also see this some of the early churches in the lifestyle of Paul, that he would fast. From time to time, Paul would fast. From time to time, the early church would fast. And then two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Dave came, and he talked about how the church in Rwanda will have a lifestyle of fasting. Is uh, the church in in, in, in Kenya, Nairobi also do that too? So, so here's the thing. If that's true and, and it's not biblical for them to be doing, then no one tell the church in Kenya or Rwanda, you know? Don't, don't, tell, don't tell them that they're doing something unbiblical, right? So, so, here, so the, the early church was already doing it. But then if you look in the, the, the gospel of Matthew, you see that Jesus uses the term bridegroom two times. This is one of them, but the other time, it's uh, the parable of the ten virgins. And unmistakably, when Jesus uses that term, he's talking about his second coming. So you're linking bridegroom with second coming, and Jesus is using that for that sort of um, imagery and illustration. And then you add on to this, I'm like going through commentary after commentary, and the commentaries that I consulted, they all seem to be in agreement. Jesus is not talking about just three days. Then when is Jesus talking about? Jesus is talking about now. Do you, you all hear that? When he says, in those days when the bridegroom is taken away from them, he's not talking about Good Friday to Easter. He's talking about his ascension all the way to the second coming, which is the time that we are now in. Do you guys hear what's happening? Jesus is saying, the time for fasting is now. It's now. So when we fast... We fast because we're hungry for more of Jesus. We can't wait to be with him. There's something inside us, this aching of the soul that can't be satisfied until we are face to face with Jesus. That's the place that we are called to be in. Now, uh, let me uh, clarify this because I think there's very uh, legitimate questions. 
I think people say, well, I, I don't understand. I, I thought now is the age of the Holy Spirit. I thought we're supposed to be happy in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with us, yes. And that means something really awesome and profound. But at the same time, it's not the same as being face-to-face with Jesus. And that's going to happen when he comes back. And so while on the uh, one hand, it's a deposit, it's a down payment. But on the other hand, you're longing for the fulfillment, everything inside you. just cannot wait for that to happen. And that's the place that we're called to be in now. Now, uh, this is what I'd like you to do. Um, if I can ask you guys, just with a, a, a spirit of, of honesty, I, I'd like you to, to turn to your neighbor, and I'd like to sh- you to share as honestly as you can, uh, but maybe you're making like a list of three things that keep you from being that kind of hungry for more of God, okay? I don't know, is this, is this too personal for us to share with, with someone next to you? Maybe, let's share anyways. Um, um, so you're going down the list, all right? Maybe the, most, the top thing is, okay, that's a little bit too personal. Uh, there's other things. Can we just have a moment of honesty? What is keeping you from being more hungry for Jesus? And what I'd like you to do is just go ahead and turn to someone next to you and go ahead and share, okay? Go ahead. Go ahead and do that. Um, so... Uh, I, I know there's some good sharing, and um, hopefully, maybe even on the, the ride home, we can continue to share. Uh, this is the best of what church is about, so I'm, thank you guys for actually opening up and sharing. That, that's pretty cool. Um, I, I think when we hear that we are supposed to be more hungry for God, I think the most natural self-reflective question is, well, if I'm not, why am I not more hungry and homesick for God? Like, if this is my most natural state where I'm away from him or, or he is away from us, why am I not more homesick? Um, in in uh, Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells a really cool parable. And as he's sharing this story, uh, Jesus uh, shares a story about this master who is throwing this big, amazing banquet. How many of you guys ever had a birthday party and invited a bunch of people and not everyone could come and you're a little bit kind of disappointed? You guys ever been there? Uh, my, my kids get there sometimes. Um, so there's this master who throws this amazing banquet and you just, you just imagine maybe it's like his 50th birthday or something like that and he just wants his people to be with him. He, they want stories, joy, celebration and so he's making all the preparations, little favors, cakes, you know, video, all the things because it's going to be this amazing party and he gets to be with the people, the people get to be with him, it's going to be this awesome thing and so he, all these preparations, he can't wait, he can't wait. Finally, all the preparations are done and then he tells this sermon, hey, go out. I got this guest list. I want you to go to everyone on the list and tell them the banquet of their life is ready. So all you have to do is come on over, right? And so the servant goes out and he gets the news out and everyone on the guest list is told about this amazing master wants to be with you. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be dancing. Come on over. And then uh, hours later, the, the uh, servant comes back and he, you know, he's, he's shuffling his feet. He's got his head down and what's, what's wrong. And the, the servant says, I, I, I shared the news and no 
one can come. Now, it's interesting, if you remember this story, the master really seems mad, you know? He's like mad. He's like, and he's, I'm sure what's underneath is he's hurt. He's hurt, and he's mad. And then, you know, and he goes, you know something? Forget them. And he comes up with a new list of people. And the new list of people are like the, you know, the poor, the, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And he goes, okay, no, yeah, I got a new, new second. Go, and, and, and then, and then and the, and the party, and they, they still have a party. But then the, in the end of the parable, there's these words, and the words go, and none of the people who were invited on the first list will get to taste any of my banquet. And that's how it ends, which is really, really just like, whoa, right? And then someone asked the questions, how come the people who were originally invited didn't come? Y'all remember this parable? And you read the parable, and, and the first guy said, I just bought a field, and I got to go see it. And then the second guy said, I just bought five oxen, and I got to go check them out. And then the third, now, that, now of, all the, of all the reasons, the third one I feel like has the most legitimate reason. third guy is like, I just got married, and so I'm going on my honeymoon. Now, how many of you would be like, you'd be like, go, man, right? Now, now, here's the thing. The banquet of their lives, the banquet they should have been waiting for, should have been hungry for, and they were invited, and they weren't hungry. Why were they not hungry? Because of, of fields and oxen and uh, marriage honeymoon and Pokemon Go and Korean dramas and houses and work projects and finals and midterms and Amazon.com, and um, um, should I go on? Uh, oh, John Piper has this amazing quote. He goes, you know, the, the number one thing that keeps us from, from being more hungry from God, it's not poison, it's apple pie. This endless nibbling at the table of the world that when it comes to the heavenly appetite, no one's hungry. Because I had all these little snacks and this endless nibbling. And, and isn't that so much our condition? This is life in America. Oh, my goodness. I actually think it's probably the hardest place to be a Christian in the world is right here in the comfort of America. Because the, the greatest adversary of greater hunger for God is, is not in the, the poison or the, the porn, the addiction, the sins. You know what it is? It's in the good gifts of God. That is what is threatening our faith so much. Do you see it? Now, of all the gifts that we've been given, what is more basic than food? What better represents all those good gifts than food? And so for the next 40 days, starting yesterday, our church, I don't think our church has ever gone through this. Who's, who's been here the longest? Kevin, have we ever done a fast before? Kevin says no. We have never done a fast before, and I just feel like, wow, now we're going to roll up our sleeves as a community, and for the first time, we're going to fast from food. 
Now, uh, I want to explain, um, <laughs> because I, I feel like some, some of you may be going, oh, wait, 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 I don't, I don't understand this. Uh, last week, you were talking about the goodness of God experienced through a Philly cheesesteak sandwich, right? And now you're saying that the cheesesteak sandwich can kill you spiritually. What do you, make up your mind, pastor. What are you saying, right? All right, let me try to, let me try to clarify in, in like 30 seconds. There's a time to eat the Philly cheesesteak sandwich and go, God is good. Amen? Come on, here, let me get an amen for that. Oh. Okay. That. <laughs> There's a time to eat the prime rib. Can I get an amen with that? Okay, okay, there we go. Okay, all right, there we go. Uh, uh, blue bottle coffee. Okay, let's not do that anymore, but you, you understand, right? And then there is a time where you refrain from the Philly cheesesteak sandwich because you are making room for a greater appetite for God. We need both. We need the satisfaction of God, and we also need the hunger of God. And so if we eat food or we deny ourselves food, we do it all for the glory of God. So if I'm going to use food and realize the goodness of God, then I use, and if I'm going to refrain from it to, to make room for a greater hunger for God, then I'm going to do that. But the whole point is that we are aligning our stomachs with our souls. And during this series, the, the very prayer that we're praying is, God, I am hungry, but I want you more. That is the prayer that we are praying. I am hungry, but I want you more. Okay, now, now, now here's the thing. An unfocused, what do you call an unfocused, it sounds like a joke. What do you call an unfocused fast? A diet. Right? Isn't that true? So, so here are some words to focus you. When you are fasting and you feel a hunger pang, you go, Lord, I'm hungry. That part's really easy. That part's naturally going to come. You're going to go, Lord, I'm hungry. And then you go, but I want you more. You're aligning your, your soul through your stomach. Or you're giving your stomach permission to, to speak what your soul is also aching for. That is the idea. Now let me just... Uh, let me just back this up with some people that we might recognize. Um, uh, take a look at this picture right here. Do you guys know who that person is? Uh, that is Bill Bright. He is uh, president of Campus Crusade for Christ. Um, for seven consecutive years, he felt God calling him to fast for 40 days. So I think during the month of January, he would fast for four. I know it doesn't look like he's fasted, but uh, I shouldn't say that he's deceased, but... Oh, okay, all right, sorry, I shouldn't say stuff like that, but it just, it's not on my notes, it just came out of my head. Okay, so Bill Bright would um, fast for 40 days, and here's what he said. He said that fasting was the spiritual atomic bomb, that's what he called it. And he said that when he would fasting, the scripture would come alive in new ways, and his prayer life would come alive in new ways. Maybe that's why he did it for seven consecutive years, I think up until his death. Um, here's a, a picture of someone else that you might recognize. Uh, this is John Wesley. He was a key person in the Great Awakening revival that swept through America. He is the founder of what denomination? Uh, the Methodist denomination. He believed in fasting so much that he would tell his church every Wednesday and Friday, let's fast. 
and he would fast with them together. In fact, he would not ordain a minister in the Methodist uh, denomination unless they were willing to fast every Wednesday and every Friday. That's how much he believed in fasting. Okay, look at this next picture. You guys know who this is? Okay, do you see the, the guy with the bag of marshmallows on the left? Yeah, okay. Uh, that's Pastor Aaron. He's from Living Hope Church. <clears throat> Last January, he went through his first 40-day fast ever. 40 days he fasted. Um, and he, he, was, he was sending me prayer letters during this time. On October the 22nd, he's going to come over, um, and we're going to spend a half day with Pastor Aaron. He's going to explain why he did that, what that was like, and then he's going to talk about the benefits of, of, of fast, having fasted for 40 days. But I, I do believe he has some really good things to say about his experience. Um, uh, I'll share another story. Uh, we have um, some people in our church who are getting ready for the fast. Uh, one of them is my coworker, um, Lynn. I don't think she's here today. But she, was, she was just being really um, honest, and she was saying, uh, uh, Andrew, I fasted for, you know, I, I'm, I'm experimenting with fasting. Uh, you know, how, how was it for you? She said, I, I just started to get lightheaded, and I started to feel woozy, but I was really, really focused. That's what she said. And so um, she was experimenting, and she was started texting a friend, like, yes, I'm feeling closer to Jesus. You know, I'm saying, Jesus, I feel lightheaded. Please help me, right? That, and so that was her, her way of, of focusing. And then I, I was saying, Lynn, how long did you fast? And she's like, you know, one meal, you know. And that's, that's good. That's a start. Actually, that's what we're asking from everyone. One week, one meal, no food. And we're calling that the Jesus fast, okay? Because Jesus, 40 days, no food. So um, and then if you look in Daniel 10, we're calling another kind of fast the Daniel fast. Let me hear you guys say Daniel fast. Okay, the Daniel fast, if you look in Daniel 10, no three things. No um, sweets, no meat, and, um, and no alcohol, okay? I'm so grateful that in the Old Testament and New Testament, uh, there's not the word coffee, you know, amen, can I get an amen, okay, but you know what I'm saying, right, so that's the Daniel fast, and we're asking people to do that for one day a week, but here's the thing, when you're going through the fast, when you feel a hunger pain, you want to remember those nine words, Lord, I'm hungry, but I want you more, okay, because that's really going to help you focus during that time, because an unfocused fast is just going to be a diet, all right? Um, some more things to cover. Can you guys uh, hold up this pamphlet? I think this pamphlet is pretty important. I, I had a, a very wise home group leader say, uh, Pastor Andrew, if you're really serious about us drawing closer to God during these 40, 40 days of hungering more for him, then besides abstaining from food, is there something we can do to get closer to God? And so Pastor Kevin and I uh, worked on this if you open it up, it says the daily regimen. We would recommend you do uh, one or two or all of the three following spiritual dis disciplines. Last week, I talked about uh, joy, joy point journaling. By the way, we ran out of, of journals, so if you, if you need one, uh, Nancy has like 60 of them in the back. If you need to pick some up for your home group, go ahead, pick them up. They're all free, okay? And then also... Tim and Kathy Keller wrote a really good devotion on the Psalms. It's called the Songs of Jesus. Um, I, I think we're asking for a donation of $10 or whatever you can afford, but it's a really good thing to go through during these 40 days. 
And then also, if you look at this, um, this brochure, we have some instructions for how a person can meditate on one verse of scripture every day. Just take that verse and carry it with them through the day. It's a powerful way of holding on to the word of God. I'm really excited about these next 40 days because I just want you to imagine people in our church who have never experienced God before for the very first time experiencing God in a profound way. Do you know what can happen if that were to happen? I want you to imagine people who have never heard God speak to them. Or it's been a long time hearing God speak to them in a very fresh way. Can you imagine what might happen if that were to happen? People who have been feeling far from God for a long time actually drawing closer to him and feeling very close to him. Can you imagine what might happen if that were to happen? I, I, I want you to think of like... a. Just an example, in the New Testament, like, aside from Jesus, who is like one of the most powerful people in the New Testament that you can think of? And naturally the name is the Apostle Paul. I mean, here is an apostle who wrote like one-third of the New Testament, planted dozens of churches that would go on to plant way more, had a huge, profound effect on how we think of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just an amazing, tremendous man. Now, if you look at all his influence, all his activity, and you trace it back, and you trace it back, and you go back, and you go back, you will find that it happened at a moment when he experienced God. And did you know that at those moments when he experienced God, fasting was right there? When he got knocked off of his horse, he fasted. When the church in Antioch was fasting and praying, that's when St. Paul was called. And you know the difference that that calling made. But you trace it all back, and it was a time of just putting everything aside and just saying, God, we want you more than food. What happens, what will happen to our community if God does this in our community, just the amazing things, when God speaks to his people, amazing things happen. I just want you to imagine all the amazing things that will happen in this community. For a season of time, we just drop all sorts of things and say, God, I'm hungry, but I want you more. Uh, would, would you guys mind just raising your hands? And would you, uh, would you join me in just praying with your heart? Lord, we do want more of you. We are sorry that we don't want you enough. We don't want you badly enough. We're, we're sorry that we're very satisfied just with your gifts, you know? Like with the food and the teas and the baths and the comforts. We're sorry that we don't long for you in a way that you are worthy of. Please forgive us. We don't give you the desire and the value that you deserve. Please forgive us from, for being apart from you and being fine with that. Father, we just want to dedicate these 40 days to you. 
we pray that you would do a work in our hearts, that you would renew our hearts. We pray, Lord, for people who have never heard your voice, that they would hear your voice maybe for the first time. We pray for people who have been feeling far away from you, that during this time they would draw closer, they would hunger after you, they would want you more. Lord, I know it's a paradox that in the hungering for you, we actually are the most satisfied. That's kind of weird. But I know it's true because I've experienced that. I pray, Lord, that during these 40 days, we would sit at your feet, we would hear your voice, and we would come alive in new ways. And we would rise up to glorify you and follow you in new ways. I thank you that you are a God of the impossible. I thank you that you are a supernatural God. I thank you that you want this more than we do. And so, Lord, we say we are hungry, but we want you.